Welcome to a Southern Sleuth podcast. Thank you for listening. It makes us feel loved. I'm Kathy Briggs. And I'm Michael Briggs. Today we're going to talk about a crime that took place in Houston in the summer of 1990. Houston, of course, is a very large city. In 1990, the population was 1.7 million. And like most big cities, they have a lot of violent crime. But this crime was particularly brutal and the people that were living there at that time have certainly not forgotten it. This is a story of the murders of Cheryl Henry and Andy Atkinson. Andy was actually from North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And he was an athlete in high school. He attended, I think, a year at Campbell College. And he had just moved to Houston to live with his father. He was liked very much by everyone from all reports. And he was very handsome. He had even had dreams of being a model. Wow. And then there's Cheryl. She was also beautiful. Big personality. In fact, her father had nicknamed her Blonde Bombshell when she was just a little girl. And Cheryl was home from college for the summer. They had only known each other about two weeks And everyone said they were very smitten with each other. They had gone the night that they were murdered. They had gone to Bayou Mamas. It was a Houston nightclub. And they went there on a double date with Cheryl's younger sister, Shane, and Shane's date. And Shane reports that it was just a normal night. They were having fun. She says she teased them a little bit because they were very affectionate with one another. And But there was nothing out of the ordinary. Shane said they said goodbye about 1045, hugged each other as they always did, said goodnight, I love you, and Shane and her date left. The next day, Cheryl and Andy didn't report to their jobs. And I'm not sure who, I I believe the family reported them missing, what I assume is that work probably called their families to look for them, and they were reported missing. So they had a double date. On August the twenty second, there has when you read about this case, they're saying August twenty first, August twenty. But her sister is actually on web sleuths. One of her sisters, not the sister she was out with that night, but another one of her sisters, and she said it. The they went out on August twenty second, and they were discovered on August twenty third. But it was in the middle of the week. And she said that. But it was the next day, nonetheless. Right. The next day is when they were reported missing because, you know, they were grown. Right. So so. it takes 24 hours. Right. I mean, they they just didn't show up for work and then they, I don't think they made them wait 24 hours to report them missing. Well, but that's still. You know, they didn't come to work and and it was both of them and they knew they had been together. And that started the phone calls. Right. What uh, then. 
so by this time, it's the next day, it's August 23rd, and a security patrol guard was doing his rounds, um, and this place is Enclave Round, it's off of the Enclave Parkway, and at this time, there was not a lot there, there is full of businesses now, but at this time, it was undeveloped, and the young people used it as a hangout spot, and this guard worked for the Cisco offices, so he was kind of patrolling the whole area, and... It looks like they he went up there and saw the car and was kind of checking it out and saw blood in the car and just thought it, things didn't look right. So he called in from the reports I read. It said he called in, found out that the plates belonged to a missing person, that Ooh. the car belonged to a missing person. So it was reported to the police, but he also called the family because Cheryl's family arrived at the scene before the police oh. luckily they didn't find the bodies the police were right behind them how did they get there so quick he called them the security oh, guard right. and told them where they were at or where it was you know and how did he how did he know who to call i don't know i don't know if he went through the car and found uh. out i've never seen like how he knew gotcha but i have read that report that her family was at the scene right. before the police and they brought search dogs in, and that's how they found Cheryl. They found her first. And the police had to hold her mother back. It's very sad. I mean, her mother knew that they had found her, and they wouldn't let her mother get to her. She was about 200 yards from the car. She was face down and naked with her hands bound with the rope and her throat slit. She had been covered with some boards from a nearby fence. I don't know if the boards had fallen off the fence or if the killer pulled them off the fence, but there was like a rotting cedar wood fence. And some of the boards had been used to kind of cover her. The medical examiner would determine that she had been raped. There are so many weird things. A $20 bill was on the ground next to her body. And some partially deflated balloons were in the trees above her, like stuck in the trees. They really haven't ever been able to determine if they were connected to the crime scene or not, but I'm sure it was very weird to see that. The $20 bill, I think. $20 bill and some balloons. Yeah, the $20 bill was definitely left there. I mean, it was too, apparently could tell that it had been just left there. And... They didn't report this right away, and I don't even know if they knew exactly what it was, but Andy was a golfer, and the killer had taken a couple of his clubs and golf balls and had made a makeshift like arrow pointing to Cheryl's body. I don't know if they knew it exactly at the time, but later they were able to realize that's Wait what it was. The killer took. The husband's golf clubs? No, they, were, they weren't married. They, they were, were boyfriend and girlfriend. Okay. Yeah, he took them from his car, from his golf club. He he had a golf, I guess he had a bag in there. And they they took, the killer took clubs, I think two clubs and three balls and made an arrow uh, to her body. That's That could be symbolic, you know, the uh, using maybe it was jealousy Using the clubs as a way to, I don't know, I just. I don't know. It, um, 
I really don't know. I think it was more of well, like it's like an extra, wanting her to be found. Well, I know that, but it's like using that. Uh, you don't think she would have been found? Was she out of the way? I don't know. It's, it makes you think, though, that they, he was very interested in her being found. Right. Um, yeah. I really don't know. The part about the fence panels is like trying to protect her. Right. Trying to cover her up, giving her some kind of dignity. They didn't, they called the search off that night because it got dark. So Andy was found the next day when they went back. His body was less than 100 yards from Cheryl's. He was fully clothed. His hands were tied behind his back with the same kind of rope that they used on Cheryl. It was a hemp rope. He was seated with his back against the tree, and his throat had been cut so severely that he was almost decapitated. Some reports say he was tied to the tree. He still had his money and his watch. So they're saying that the robbery. robbery was not a motive. Nothing that they knew of was taken. But they believe that Andy was killed afterwards and that, that he was positioned that way so that he would be able to watch Cheryl's rape and murder. Wow. Sick people in the world. So they investigated, of course, the usual suspects, exes, co-workers, different things. They really never had any good suspects and they couldn't tie this to anybody and her family believed it had something to do with people she was hanging out with i mean it was just a whole bunch of different of course speculation then in 2001 so this happened in 1990 so 11 years later a note was delivered to the houston police department and it said, if you want to know who killed C. Henry and A. Atkinson, it will cost $100,000. So it's getting desperate for money now. The note told the investigators to reply in the classified section of the March 12, 2001 Houston Chronicle. And then the note said, a lawyer will be hired to make sure you play straight. Seems very weird. It does. I really don't know that it had anything to do with it. But they answered. They answered exactly, you know. What do you think? He just wanted attention and he was saying. I don't even know that it was a killer. I don't don't know. Oh, yeah. They do that. They answered it, though, because the police didn't want to take any chances. I mean, it's the first thing they've heard right in forever. So they've answered them in in the classified ad. It said, we do want to know what you know about Henry and Atkinson. A number was given for the note sender or a lawyer to contact with directions on playing it straight. But no response ever came. But I'll put up a link so that everybody can look at the note and see what they think. But I, in my personal opinion, don't think that it had anything. I I don't know. I don't know that it had anything to do with that. Could have been somebody that knew something, but, but I really... Or, you know what, it could have been the killer because, you know, the BTK killer, if he felt like he wasn't getting enough attention, he would do stuff like that to try right. to get attention brought back to the case. Yeah. So it could have been yeah. trying to get attention brought to the case, but nothing I, it, else it was ever old, done. Good old, could have been the good old cash. So they really didn't 
needing cash. Right. They really didn't hear anything else until 2008. Now, remember, this happened in 1990. So 18 18 years years goes by, and a rape kit was processed from a rape that had occurred two months prior to the murder. So 18 years later, a rape kit is processed. And the DNA from that rape kit matched the DNA from the killer. Wow. So we got a multiple. Right. And there's a major issue with the crime lab in Houston. We've got that. What kind of issue? If it took them 18 years to process a rape kit, don't you think that that is an issue? They had it for 18 years. Oh, besides that. Um. But this victim was raped in her home as a 30-year-old woman. She came home. Her boyfriend was a pilot, and he was out of town. So she comes home. She's walking toward her bedroom, I believe, and this guy pops out, and he says, Where's Randy? Which was her boyfriend's name. So he either knew something about her, or he had Gone Went through her mail. Right, he could have gone through her mail or something that he saw laying around, but he knew something. She said it looked like he had on a security guard uniform. Was there something about a security guard at the other murder? Well, a security guard found them. Right. Okay, so this guy has on a security guard uniform. Has that guy been cleared? That, they say he has. They say pretty much immediately he was cleared. Uh-huh. I don't I don't know how immediately but it says he was. Right. But the rapist you had fishnet stockings over his face. What? Yeah, and she she said that he bound her hands with duct tape and he had a gun. And he held it to her head and he raped her. Now she was able to through the fishnet stockings because that's not the best disguise that I can think of. She was able to give a description of him, and they they made a composite drawing, and I'll I'll post that on the website also. Now, this rape victim was a dancer, like an exotic dancer, at a gentleman's club named Gigi's on the Northwest Freeway in Houston. And here's the connection here. At the time of the murder... Cheryl was working an office job, but she had worked at a dance club like that. Not as a dancer. She was a waitress, but she worked at Rick's Cabaret on Bering Street. Did the other girl work there? I don't think she ever worked there. But, you know, there are more. Maybe he was a patron at both places. But I have heard, okay, Andy was at the time of the murder working at Gold's Gym. But his dad managed an exotic nightclub called Dream Street on Renrock. And I have heard reports that this the rape victim had also worked there. I'm not sure if that's true. I can't attest to that. That was just something I read like on a Web Sleuth article or something. That right. didn't come to me from the police. But we do know that they all three had at some point worked at an exotic dance club. Right. 
uh, so, topless club. Yeah, it's it's pretty easy in those kind of places to uh, guys to get attached, you know. Well, you maybe. know about those kind of places, Michael. I mean, from what I've read. Okay. <laughs> so that when I read that, it made me think about the twenty dollar bill. Right, like he's throwing it. Maybe. Well, could be. Did he, he was upset at her? Could be leaving her a tip. Right? Like, Did he throw it down there after she was dead? Like right? Or could it have been something he did while she was? You know, I have this sick thing in my mind seeing him making her dance or something, and he's like giving her the money. Oh and then God! I, I don't know. You know, could be. and then because he definitely has a thing about the man because. Tied him up and made him watch. Right. And I wonder if he knew with the rape victim, I wonder if he expected her boyfriend to be home. Maybe he wanted him to be home. I don't know. But, and then he has the fishnets on his face, which seems an odd thing. Like, if he went and particularly bought something to disguise himself with, what fishnets, right. I know you haven't worn them, but I don't Just think you like have... A- well, not on my head. They have, they have holes, and if you stretch right. them far enough, I mean, they're, yeah. they're easy to, to tear. Right. But it looks like regular pantyhose would have been something that would have yeah. obscured his face a little bit better. Well, he might not have been bright, or it could have been. I wonder if he stole them from a dancer. Maybe he had done this before. Oh, and, using the trophy for yeah, another Yeah, and crime? he had stolen them, or he frequented these clubs, and he or he worked there. Could he have worked at a club? And Yeah, I thought that before. Right. You know? So. You know, they're, the guys that are the bouncers or bartenders or stuff like that, you know, they have a lot of interaction, a lot of chance to. Right, it just. It makes you think that because I know people said, well, she worked there years before she wasn't working there then. But, you know, she was not she was not very old. And I would assume she had to be. 21 to work in these clubs. I mean, my goodness, even back then, at least 18. So it couldn't have been that long ago that she worked at that club. How old was she when she passed? Cheryl was 22, and Andy was 21. They have the DNA from the both crime scenes, from the rape victim that happened two months before. And they have sent this DNA to a lab to do, like, the familial DNA, the the uh, ancestor, like... Right. Genetic DNA stuff to try to hunt down some family members. But that was in 2017, and I haven't heard anything about that. And I try to keep updated on this, and I follow the Web Sleuths thread in which her sister is a part of, and they haven't really released anything yet. Right. Maybe something will hit. We can only hope. Because I really think that this is going to be somebody who... I think this is somebody that had an infatuation with the girl. 
And right. I think he goes to these places. Right. He either works at these places or he goes to yep. these places. And, and he picks out a girl and he... Well, see, the work in there kind of makes sense because uh, most of the time they keep a pretty... Uh, like a, a wall between them and the customer. However, somebody that works there would have a chance to become friendly over time, like it'd be somebody that they got familiar with enough to the point where they might be friendly with that guy and that guy might think it's something else. And then he's turns jealous when she's ends up having a boyfriend. Right, but then if... I don't think that the ninth, the, the rape victim, the one that happened before the murder... I don't think that she she didn't know him. I mean, she didn't say she knew him. Right. So that is weird because if been somebody that worked there, yeah, that's true. Know, it could have been a customer yeah. that she saw a few times but couldn't really remember. Right. Yeah, but I don't, hard to I don't know. I don't know. I block it out while they're there. I don't know if he got maybe maybe this guy was even at that Bayou Mamas when Cheryl and Andy were there and he followed them. Or maybe he was stalking her a little bit, or maybe he just right. happened to look up on them. <sighs> and I think he probably had on his security guard uniform or something that looked like that, and came up on them, stunned them. They probably thought they were in trouble. He he may have approached them like that, like "What are y'all doing out here?" or whatever. But uh, maybe he had a gun because we know he had a gun two months before. Uh-huh. So how else did he gain control of two people? Because I really fully believe that. I mean, Andy was in good shape. If it had just been a fight, he probably could have taken him. But I think he he might have had a gun and some way to control them to be able to. To take, you know, take both of them and tie them up. And he could have had one of them tie the other one because sometimes they do. And I've read reports of that, like the um, East Area Rapist, Golden State Killer. He did that. But, and I thought about that security guard, like you were saying, but everything I've read said he was, he was cleared. Right. Well, I guess they, you know, they would know. But there was blood in the car, remember? So someone got hurt in the car. So I don't know if he struck somebody. I've never read anything about what their other injuries were. So I don't know. I don't have the entire case file, obviously. So I don't know everything that went on. Well, and there's some stuff. There that, was blood that wasn't hers? No, there was blood in the car. I haven't even ever read whose it was. Right. Like, was it hers or his? So something happened while they were still in the car. Right. So he could have hit Andy and knocked him out, and yeah, then I mean, it's not tied her up not, while he was out. It's not too far fetched if you come up on somebody and you got a gun, plus the element of surprise and a security uniform of some kind, you could probably get the advantage. Right. Yeah. Right, because they're sitting there; they're not expecting anything. Yep. But there's there's one other weird thing that happened in the area. Of course, like I said, there's there's a lot of crime. It's it's a big place, but truecrimediva.com is a great website and she pointed out that in 1992 another young lady in Houston went missing and is suspected to be dead. Her name is Tara Breckenridge. And she waited tables at the men's club in Houston from 1989 to 1992. Oh, no. So here's another one. Now, they haven't directly 
linked all of these because they have never found her body. But it does seem weird. It's like there's some kind of serial killer out there that the clubs are his hunting ground. But right, I guess I'm hoping that with all the breaks in cases that have gone on now because of the DNA, the familial DNA testing and the um, genealogy websites, that they'll be able to come up with something on this. I hope so. If anyone listening has any information, please contact the Houston PD Cold Case Division at 713-308-3618 or anonymously at Houston Crime Stoppers at 713-222-TIPS. Thank y'all for joining us. Please visit our website at a southernsleuthpodcast.com for pictures and other info regarding this case. And please leave your comments. Thank you. Thank you.